Welcome to Lonely Girls, a podcast dedicated to examining, archiving, and applauding the loneliest girls in media and pop culture history. My name is Madeline Turner, and I am the ghost of Christmas spent in bed doing nothing. Um, okay. I'm, I'm joined here today with my co-host, Rebecca Botter, um, patron saint, uh, ghost of Christmas, I don't know, Rebecca, what do you feel like you are the ghost of? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I mean, if anything, a ghost of day off on my days off, um, this is all I want to do is I want to be alone and I want to clean. And that's what I've been doing all day. And then I'm hopping on this and I'm recording this and then I'm going to go back to being alone. So ghost of ghost day, which is my favorite day of the week. I love that. We are so excited to be here with you guests today um for what we uh, like to call a christmas surprise it's it's our second christmas surprise maddie are you guys surprised surprise Surprise. it's a a christmas surprise we have missed you guys uh both rebecca and i's uh sort of individual life circumstances made it to where we had to take um a break from recording the podcast for for a season um but we absolutely felt a christmas episode was very necessary and Mm -hmm. um exciting for both of us if you aren't um able to you know catch the title or um, figure it out from the uh the 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 monikers in the intro what are we discussing today rebecca um, Maddie, today we are discussing a little-known story called "A Christmas Carol" by a Charles Christmas. Dickens, a and then all Carol. on "A Christmas Carol," and then all the media that has come from "Christmas Carol." Yeah, and sort of um, the greater sort of why "Christmas Carol." I think in a ranking for Christmas and Christmas stories, there's Jesus. Yeah. I like the the the, the, the like the nativity, to, to, the yeah, nativity con- story. To, to contribute, yeah, not just all of it, but to contribute to why Christmas as an entity in our culture exists as of now. The well, there's also like you know Yuletide and whatever, but it's the the basis is the the, the bay in the manger, yeah, and bay <laughs> away in a manger, a away man- in yeah, 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 <laughs> and then it's Christmas Carol, and we're gonna get into. Um, how it's influenced why it exists the way it does. Yeah, and 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 how kind of actually quite interesting it is, and uh, how much it's influenced media over the years. I'd like to say we knew that it influenced it that much when we started, but actually, like the more we've done, because last the time we did Love Actually, right? We were like, oh, and then like this, we're like, oh, oh, this was actually a really good choice. This was a great choice. I, I, I had a wonderful time. Um, but of course, of course, Rebecca, mm-hmm. before we, um, before we take the hand of that Christmas ghost into mm-hmm. past, present, and future, we do have to discuss, um, something that pervades through all time. Mm-hmm. Lonely Girl Moments and the Lonely Girl Moments of the Week. Would you like Mm -hmm. to go first? Actually, could you go first? I would love to go first. So my Lonely Girl Moment, I'm going to be, I'm going to have radical transparency and honesty with the Lonely Girl listeners. My Lonely Girl Moment did not happen this week. 
it happened a little bit ago. But we've been like holding on. But we've been holding on. And this is the first one that we've had for a while. And it does feel, it does fall in line with what's uh, uh, the theme of this episode, um, the feeling that we would like this episode to evoke. I am a uh, director by trade. I make uh, small cinematic shorts. Masterpieces. Uh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And But the the way that I, you know, the, the way I'm able to dive into my pile of money like Scrooge McDuck every uh, so often is I, I do a lot of branded content for brands. And during the holiday season, that's usually my, my, my big time. And I had gone through a, a dry spell in terms of work. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, got like a bunch of work. So for the past month, I've been in the weeds, just like filming, editing, <sighs> talking to brands, kind of the commercial world is so unique and, and kind of frustrating and kind of uh, fascinating in a way. And a lot of times I don't get to do exactly what I would like to do in terms of when it comes to creating these, this branded content. Um, but recently I, I did a, I did a job with DoorDash, um, and they gave me kind of free reign to really do whatever I wanted to do. They had a great brief and they, they were a great team to work with. Um, and I pitched them something kind of vague that, um, the concept involved a dollhouse. And at the time that I pitched it, I had no idea, like, I don't know how I'm going to get in a dollhouse. I don't know how I'm going to film a dollhouse. I don't really know how this is going to go, but if they approve, if they choose this concept, I'll figure it out. So they chose that one. And, uh, in order to kind of complete it I had to source a, a dollhouse source a dollhouse and so I went on offer up and I found this like gorgeous Victorian antique dollhouse it's really insane and I now own a dollhouse a giant gorgeous one uh and so my my all that to say my lonely girl moment was really like um the feeling of putting together this dollhouse and decorating it and this like this real like uh, wonderful sort of childlike I was really reverted back to girlhood and how much I was enjoying like decorating each room and placing the furniture exactly where it was supposed to go and placing all the figurines and then and then getting to film it getting to like actually create Mm -hmm. something out of that um and how much fun it was and how great I think the the ad ended up turning out um uh but just the process of sitting sitting by myself and staring at this dollhouse and talking to this dollhouse uh for like mm, a good like 14 hours um that was really my lonely girl moment my lon- uh th- I don't think there's anything quite as lonely as a girl in her dollhouse. Mm-hmm. I also, uh, a little BTS, uh, when we were talking about it after you had filmed, I was, I loved it so much. And I saw it um, before it came out and I was like, oh, I love it. It's so weird. It's so weird. And you were like, Rebecca, I was coming up with it. 
so late into the night and I was actively descending into madness. Actively. And I think if you were, if you return to her social and you watch it, just know that like she, it, it was a concept, but like this was a woman losing her mind. I was, I was straight up losing my mind and I had been alone for days. My, uh, boyfriend <gasps> podcast exclusive. Um, Maddie, do you, do you have a boyfriend? <laughs> I do. Um, but my, my boyfriend had been out of town for like a week. And so not only was I filming this just like in sort of manic filming, you know, like fugue state. I was also like actually by myself. No one was around. It was just me and the cats and like true, true, like gleeful insanity. So and tired. I had been awake for like 40 hours. It was, it, it was madness. I think that was very lonely girl, but I think kind of like a beautiful, like a lonely girl I'll, I'll return to for sure. Mm -hmm. What about you, Rebecca? It. Um, well, I mean, we were also full transparency is, um, I, I was texting Maddie last night and I was like, I don't really know if I have a lonely girl moment, but, um, uh, y'all I'm going back to London. Rebecca. Yeah. Did you live in London at one point and now you're going back? I am. I am. That's so exciting. Um, can you can you share where uh, what you're going for? So I'm going for my friend who is an American, but she used to live in the UK. She is getting married on New Year's Eve. Oh. Um, at a castle in Dublin, that's and just I, I like just, that's pretty lonely, girl. Honestly, very lonely, girl. And um, I'm really excited about it. And I have been, um, Maddie can verify this. I've been very anxious just mm. because I I have spent a lot of time out of the country. And there was a moment where I was like, London's where I'm meant to be. Like, this is not okay. Like, I was so sad to come to the States. Mm. And um, without like getting a little bit too into it, but I think this is going to tie into Scrooge. I had... A, if we were to really get into it, we're using general terms, but I had mm. sort of a breakup mm. um, at uh, like at the end of my time in London, and it yes. really tainted everything. And yes. so I've gone back before for a wedding. I didn't really feel awesome while there because I was still thinking about it. And um, and yeah, so I'm going back again. You're going back uh, again and with like the hope of christmas yet to come and also guys it's um london is my town and no one can take that away from me it's so true um, yeah i really i really do maddie one day we will go to the uk together absolutely I really turn into this like just like a different version of myself who like i feel like i turn into a like a very competent version of myself mm -hmm. in, a, in in a way that like i really feel um, it, I really feel in some ways like the truest version of myself that it just in this city. And I think it's because the first time I really was like alone taking care of myself was when I was in college. I had been staying with a family friend in London and, but I had like, was completely just kicked out of the flat at 9am. And she said, 
I'll see you when I get home from work at 9 p.m. Yeah. And I truly had never, I'd never been on public transit before. Like I you really like, you figured, you figured everything out. Uh, baptism by fire. So yeah. <laughs> I think that it, it was the kind of the city I became an adult in. Mm, um, that's and beautiful. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Processing it now. But, um, but uh, Maddie, speaking of flying through the streets oh, of, of London, London, holding the hand of a of a of, of a, a ghost the, the, of a Christmas's ghost. past, um, I think it's I think it's I think time to start talking about us. a little story called, called a, a Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol. Um, I would love to. I loved that transition. That was really good. I've really Thank missed you. those. Would love to talk about this. I think the best way to maybe get into this is talk a little bit about the man behind the story. The man, the man who um created Christmas. Who invented Christmas. Oh, sorry, who invented Christmas. <laughs> yes. A little known author called Charles Dickens. Um, quite possibly the most famous author of his day. Like he was, I mean, if uh, I can't, I don't even know a thing. He's the, the Colleen Hoover of <laughs> the 1840s. Yeah. No, he really, he really was deeply influential. Just imagining that on his <laughs> The Colleen Hoover. The Colleen his Hoover. Generation. His generation. I uh, have always been a fan of Charles Dickens. My parents being, I think this is pretty on brand for, for them. Uh, read us Charles Dickens, read us David Copperfield. And I think like just being a lover of like the BBC period piece in general, you kind of like come across a Dickens adaptation no matter what. There's always, they're always trying to adapt Dickens over, over in the, on the BBC. And so he's always kind of been around for me and been in the public consciousness um, did you do any Dickens research yourself aside from aside from the uh, man who invented Christmas? So y'all, I did watch the man who was so it did we usually dole, uh, uh, deal out the roles of dole. like, hey, you're yeah, dole, dole, dole. dole out the roles. <laughs> um, and uh, and it was kind of like, hey, you look into this, hey, you look into this. And that morning, I like apologize. I was like, hey, Maddie, I'm not trying to intrude on your role. Yeah. Um, but there is a film called The Man Who Invented Christmas, mm. um, and I feel like someone should watch it. And I don't think you'll gain anything for. I'll just I'll just do it for the two of us. I have now listened to the audiobook by Hugh Grant, but I've never read any of his books. So with Ooh, that, yeah, um, not even Great it. Expectations in high school. No, <gasps> whoa, we had okay. to read like a lot about. Um, we read a lot of Francine Rivers. She's River. the one that wrote Redeeming Love. Oh, we, wow. we were busy reading Christian um, romance fiction. Chicklet. Awesome. Mm -hmm. But a sign I, reading. I, I mean, but for the grace of God, there go I. So <laughs> Charles Dickens, I think what's really, we don't really need to go into like the nuances of his childhood, but I think it's very, very clear that what he writes about is what he knows. He like... Every single character in his books is inspired by someone who was in his life, influenced his life. And I think what makes him such uh, such a profound writer for the time is his deeply unique perspective. 
uh, we enter in, like he enters the world post Franco Prussian war, post Napoleon, like post French revolution, post Napoleon. So like the wars were done um, between France and England, which like we've covered Jane Austen. That was the period of time that she grew up in. And so we enter into it in the Victorian era where it's this like major time, I would say of like political peace, quote unquote, there's not a there's war not is a, over. War is over actually. Famously. Um, famously war was done <laughs> dead in a ditch. Uh, and we have queen Victoria who takes her reign. She's queen for a hundred years and she's, uh, essentially in power like the entire time dickens is around like that's the only queen he ever knows uh or the only monarch he ever knows and in that time in london especially in the rest of the world we have the industrial revolution so farming becomes more obsolete we have a ton of people leaving the countryside to go to the city to get more jobs um and it's a little bit the wild west in terms of working conditions and capitalism like the evils of capitalism and like bureaucracy like really intense um uh, uh like what's like futile uh steps for people to achieve success in life we get like the first like modernism and so dickens is really like bred into or birthed into this world as a middle class man and that allows him the opportunity to have education. Uh, his parents are pretty comfortable. He's in a big family. Lots. His dad is kind of this like very whimsical, um, a little like maybe not as like mentally present or like uh, for even context. He's played by Jonathan Price in the film. And I think that's a great visualization. Well, then there we go. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's correct. I... I believe I believe his dad is kind of that like you you see that character come up a lot, especially in fathers where they are very charming and very intelligent, but very inconsistent. And as as sparkly as they are, they will always put their own needs in front of what their family needs. And mm -hmm. his father was terrible with money. And so when Dickens, by the time Dickens was 11 years old, his family had gone from being comfortable middle class to being in the poor house and dickens being the eldest child or the oldest boy had to go work and so all of a sudden he was in a an environment where everyone around him was not educated was not uh raised with the same kind of um, comforts that he was and the same like outlook on life he was um, and he was treated exactly the same as them it sort of it was deeply humbling and deeply like traumatizing but I think it gave him this this perspective and being able to see the humanity and the the futility of a impoverished existence and how, like, he did not necessarily deserve to be in this position. Um, it was all due to his father's folly and his father's uh, irresponsibility. And all the other boys that he was working with came to this situation. They weren't 
they didn't deserve it. They weren't born into this. It wasn't because they were bad or lower class. Like they were the same as him. And I think that carries throughout all of his works is this like equalizing of humanity and this understanding of how our circumstances are shaped in a deeply unfair way. And if like mm-hmm. God enters the picture uh, at all in a, in a sort of a, uh, if he has any sort of theology, it's like we exist at the hands of an unfair God. And so I think Did he believe in God. I, meant I don't actually, I don't know. I don't, I think he might've believed in God in kind of the way that, you know, most people did around that time, but I don't think, I don't think he was a particularly spiritual person. Wasn't devout. No. And when Dickens family, um, they were able to get out of poverty because his father's mother died and left him money. And so then finally they were able to pay his debt and like get back into a place where they were no longer in the poor house. And Dickens was able to get a job that was not like a, he was a a shoe uh, blacketer. He worked in a shoe factory. His job was shoe. His his job was actually a shoe. And the job that he ended up going into after that was he was a stenographer, like a court stenographer. There was a different name for it, but that's essentially what he was. And so he got this really, really interesting education on being able to basically just see the hypocrisy, the corruption, the futility of like the judicial system at the time, because he was just in court hearings every single day, listening to lawyers and judges and juries and parliament. I actually don't know how the British judicial system really works, but that's mm-hmm. what I'm assuming. They do wear wigs. Okay, wig. Um, and I think, and, and in that time, Dickens decided uh, he wanted to be a writer uh, he also like kind of craved fame in like a theatrical sense. Like he wanted to be an actor and really loved theater. And I think you can tell that a lot in his writing. Like you were saying, like, especially a Christmas Carol works so well when it's like read out loud. Yeah. And his characters are so kind of theatrical in a sense. A lot of his stories are just a kind of a small, simple person interacting with absolutely insane people. And I think that's, and I think that's really, really interesting. Um, And I think that speaks a lot to his, his sensibilities as an author and like what he kind of thought about himself. He um, started uh, the Pickwick Papers. Actually, let me go back. I think the, in terms of his writing, I think the thing that I'll really nail on, because we don't want to like go into crazy specifics but he released most of his works in serialized format so he released them in magazines and newspapers in weekly kind of like each chapter would be in a new paper that week um like francis hodgson burnett Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what i think that did and why he's was the most famous author at the time is because it uh, democratized uh, this sort of educated, elevated work. So he was this really fantastic writer who was able to 
speak to the masses and cater to the masses and publish to the masses. So someone who was, you know, a child, if they could read, obviously, um, a, a child working in a factory, uh, all the way up to the upper class, they could consume Dickens' work and they could be influenced by it and they could be seen by it. And so that I think is a massive, massive, uh, I would say like you can't take that out of the equation even when reading now that uh, each chapter was like serialized mm -hmm. and that people would be waiting for like the next installment, which is why his books have this kind of like epic journey-ish quality to them. I feel like he was very much a TV writer definitely versus... oh my gosh absolutely a tv writer that is such a good that's such a good comp um he got really famous he was he was writing everywhere um he had a tour in america he went to america for the first time one thing i will say about dickens uh, that i find impressive for the time is he like immediately and like staunchly condemned slavery he found america to be like repugnant in its uh, its treatment of enslaved people. And I think he attributed, I mean, that, I mean, obviously like he grew up, uh, he, he, he was able to feel the effects of being a second-class citizen, um, when he was younger and he had a, an extreme amount of empathy for people who were in abused and marginalized situations. Um, he hated America he hated it. He hated everyone there. He hated like, he, he hated the American sensibility. Um, and so much so that he ended up losing sales because he was not afraid of talking about how much he hated America and um, expressing that to the public. So he lost a massive fan base at, the, at that time uh, due to his uh, condemning and critiquing of America so much so that he was like almost in poverty, had to kind of like kind of realign um, and attempt to create something that would unify society uh, thematically, something, a seasonal, festive kind of like family and and oh, and values and morals and 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 past, present, future um, that would. Uh, I would say allow him to be reintegrated into the general consciousness across an international consciousness. And that was um, a Christmas carol. So you mm -hmm. watched the man who invented Christmas. Invented Christmas. Yeah. And um, I'm glad I did. Um, but like some differences is it very much was like he wrote a book. So he was like, I want the illustrations for the book and I want the things to be painted in gold, you know, and we got a taste of his dad being bad with money. We got a taste of like him having a lot of kids and, yeah. uh, but really. Did it give honest, a taste of him like hating his wife? Um, no. Oh, mm -mm. he hated, he hated his wife. So. Okay. No, it was very tender, very loving. Mm -hmm. I feel like you can't, you can't. And, and it's, what's funny because it's played by Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey. Yeah. And he very much is just like so handsome and, ah, you know, ah. just, right. But the problem is, is my sister, Mary, Hill Mary, Hail Mary, um, Hail Mary um, has pointed out that she 
wants to start advocating for writers to stop writing about writers because as a non-writer, it's very isolating for her. But then because she's not a writer, she's not able to like to really get any moment going. Yeah. Because like, because like really only writers are writing about. Yeah. Like they're the only ones who can really like grease the wheels a little bit yeah and for the most part there's not an interesting way to show writing and so they did pretty much the only device that they could which is to show the characters in front of dan stevens i don't even really want to call it charles dickens because it is so deeply just dan stevens it's just dan stevens just Dan stevens and it's him like looking at uh what's his face captain von trapp and he's like christopher uh, Plummer. Yeah, Christopher Plummer, and he's like, uh, Scrooge, 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 and then Christopher Plummer's like, "Mm." and then he's like, Scrooge, and then all of a sudden he's like, ah, you know, and then he writes it down. What's crazy is like, apparently he just, he like figured out the name for Scrooge because he was in, he went to Scotland, he -hmm. went to Edinburgh and was in a cemetery and saw someone with the the, the name Ebenezer Scrog, I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And that's what made him, that's like one of the inspirations behind the name. He was like so taken with, he's like, what a fucking well, weird name. In the film, The Invention of Christmas, he actually sees Christopher Plummer in a cemetery. And he like sees a somber human. So anyways, all that to say, it like, it, it's just, it's quite boring to watch a writer write, right. but yeah. famously making a movie is very hard. And I think if you would have given me that prompt, I would have been so lucky to come Absolutely. up with something that good. I Absolutely. just personally didn't care. I just, it's really hard to write, watch a writer write. Yeah. Well, and what, I mean, Dickens himself was so his life was so fascinating and I think towards the end of his life I mean he died like alone he died alone and like almost penniless like he he he, yeah I didn't know any of this (laughs) I mean it's kind of I mean the way that he ended his life he didn't end his own life sorry that sounds insane um he 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 died of he died very young I will say Mm -hmm. but he died of um a heart attack or or something similar like something some function a stroke he died of a stroke that's what it was mm. um but he did not he was not the best husband and he was not the best father and he was not the best lover or boyfriend he he you can see it in the way that he regards he writes women in his stories mm-hmm. a lot of times they are either really beautiful, delicate creatures who die very young, which is representative of like his first wife or his first love, not his first wife, his first love. Um, they're, 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 they die really young or they're sort of, um, chatty kind of insufferable, like nervous, anxious, fat, specifically fat Uh uh, women who, who at one point were, lovely and beautiful and then just sort of you know became decrepit and and mm-hmm. insufferable over time or they're like spinsterly like just manic spinsterly women who um 
who you just sort of laugh at and, and, or, or Havisham. Yeah, exactly. Or I'm trying to think of another example, but like it, this, especially in, um, David Copperfield and great expectations. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of silly older spinsters, silly older women, or there's just like evil, evil, evil girls, evil, just mean, mean girls, um, in his, in his works. And I think that was, he always had a really difficult time with women and that, and, and when he divorced his wife, um, he divorced, mm-hmm. he divorced his easy. wife. No, I know. Especially for the time he divorced his wife and he forced all of the, all of their children to, uh, they, they weren't allowed to see her. He like, he, he got full custody of them and he would not let, um, them see their mother. And mm-hmm. so fortunately when Dickens died, they all like immediately went to, you know, be with their mother. And it was very clear that that was not an arrangement that they were happy with. But at the time, you know, listen, you can't win them all. My wife is crazy. But I think like we do see that kind of stuff of like people who are obsessed with justice and like you can have these great motives and concepts of things that are wrong in a large thing but then just because you're aware of things that are bad on a large perspective doesn't mean that you're not giving that same harsh judgment to smaller things yeah with the same passion and I am right about this Mm -hmm. and so you can still really miss the boat okay Maddie sorry I was just saying I was grinning the whole time because I'm just so obsessed with like you just casually sitting there recounting so expertly <laughs> all of this information as if like, yes, we all know. I mean, we you all know? know this. I think that was um, great. Thank you so much. I love, I love, I love telling people facts. I love just sharing facts and telling people about them. And yeah. making them interesting. I didn't even use the date that he was born. It was 1812. Oh, you gotta have the dates. <laughs> yeah, we can have the dates. I I went dateless for this one. I think mostly because we're kind of really just talking about a Christmas Carol specifically. I what? think I think it's an interesting book in his uh, discography, his his sort of repertoire because mm-hmm. it is pretty like. It's pretty, it is definitely a critique of, mm-hmm. it's a critique of, of, per, of person. Mm-hmm. There's, it's clearly the character of Ebenezer Scrooge is like a critique of a type of individual that we encounter, but I wouldn't say it's a big critique of society at large. And it mm-hmm. also kind of predisposes the idea that if the individual changes, then life gets better, which I don't think is super present in his, I mean, like, I think he has a lot more to say about society and how it's like broken in -hmm. his other works. Whereas Christmas Carol, he's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, like, it'll be there obviously, but like, I'm not 
hard hitting. It's a much more optimistic tale. Mm -hmm. I I was talking to my friend, Jen, who was actually introduced to the story of A Christmas Carol when we saw it as a play here in Atlanta at the Alliance. And I was like, she loved it. She was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard. This is great. And I was like, have you never heard That's of Christmas so Carol? I, I was so sweet. But because um, as an actor, we've all gone and seen our oh. friends in a production of A Christmas Carol. Everyone. How many times? God bless us. But, but everyone. But um, I asked her a couple of days ago, I was like, why did you like it so much? And she's like, I loved, this is so true. She's like, I love the idea of someone able to change later in life. Do we want to give like a rough outline of what happens in A Christmas yeah, Carol? And maybe. So one thing I was wanting to say is like, let's hit the hard things of um, what kind of our standards for all Christmas Carol. Like yeah. what are the rules of Christmas Carol? What makes yeah. any story a Christmas Carol story? So rules of A Christmas Carol. And I think this this will help in sort of identifying maybe even for you, the listener, a Christmas Carol adaptation or an homage to A Christmas Carol that you yourself might not even have realized. But we have our protagonist. And I think it's important to note about the protagonist that they are happy with their lives. They are happy with their current situation where they think they are. They think they, they are. They feel good about themselves. They feel right about their opinion. Um, they are unaware of their own deep, deep internal sadness. But in order to maintain this sense of okayness, the sense of self, um, they make everyone around them miserable. That's, that's, I would say, like an important facet of the character is everyone around them is suffering. So in our original tale, we have Scrooge. I would say there's often surrogate characters or, or uh, there's usually in the protagonist's like work sphere, someone who is like has to be around them all the time is usually the Bob Cratchit uh, character. And that person often represents uh the good in the world, like this sort of wholesomeness, this sort of optimism, this sense of community and family, and someone who like has the right idea about life that the character, our protagonist character is like the uh, foil. Yeah, exactly. The foil and kind of like um, our protagonist character sees them as like a bit of a silly or a nuisance we then have our our uh, um, our the Mar Marley, the Marley character, which is often I would say like an influence on the protagonist from the past, dead, gone. Marley's always that's the first line of the of the thing. The Marley Marley had been dead for years or something like that. Marley was dead to begin with. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Marley was dead to begin with. And so Marley, I think, is an important character because this is someone who clearly entered the life of our protagonist at an influential time, an influential age, and showed them a path 
to life or a way of existing in life that worked for them in a sense um, that our protagonist mirrored their Mm -hmm. life after. And I would say Marley isn't necessarily always there, Mm -hmm. but often is. Yeah, it's not a requirement, but it is, it is a often present, often present. And also I think it's like important in the psychology of our protagonists of like, how did they get to that point? And it's like bad behavior. Like if, like, let's say like, if you and your best friend go get blackout every single night, then you're not going to see the issue in what you're doing. If you have, yeah, exactly. If you have someone and also someone I think there is a mentor element to the character mm-hmm. of Marley. There's also the character of Fred, who I think is important. Fred is his nephew. Fred is his only family connection. Um, and Fred, well, well, we'll we'll talk about that. But Fred, I mm-hmm. think, is sort of a, uh, a another foil in a sense, but a much less dependent foil. And I would say like one person is beneath Scrooge socioeconomically yes. and maybe dependent on Scrooge. And then the Fred character is someone who is an more of an equal or and a peer. Yeah, exactly. And doesn't need him, but it but is still family. And mm-hmm. I think like usually the character does not have family. They do not a, have a, many, many a friend or a family. A, a Jennifer Gardner, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. I just connected that Jennifer Gardner is Fred. Well, it's I thought of... the I thought the brother was Fred. Oh. Here yeah, we can talk about here's the thing. I'm not I, as memorable. It's really not because I also think Jennifer's a little bit of a Bob Cratchit. Yeah. 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 Well, we can talk about that because I actually think Ghost of Girlfriends Past might be the best, most accurate adaptation. Like this is what the film was or the book was trying to say. I think there's maybe like I think it's the the most well done in fighting said no and you're talking to two big fans of the movie but I would like to say this is the first time anyone anyone's ever ever said said that that. but I think in I think in doing my research and well we'll talk about this later I don't want to give too much away so I'm so excited so as we get into so so we have our Marley character we have our Scrooge character usually it takes place during Christmas or during some important event that would require a uh, a deviation from the 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 norms of of our protagonist's life. Mm-hmm. For Scrooge, it's Christmas and he's sort of we're in in the novel we see him reacting to everyone's festivities and their seasonalness and their ah oh, they they love Christmas Christmas is mm, and he's like I hate Christmas. He hates or, it wait, so much. I think he, or uh he has a bah humbug. Oh, if you will. Honestly, a protagonist with a catchphrase is like, and Matthew McConaughey. Oh, no, no, no. It's the the father of the bride. He has a catchphrase. Hoo-ah. Hoo-ah. Which I loved, which also mm-hmm. felt very Matthew McConaughey. So maybe that's mm-hmm. where it's coming from. Well, that's okay. him going We're, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's, his, that's where you got it from. <laughs> We're talking about his Wolf of Wall Street character. Just mm-hmm. for those of you who weren't able to see Rebecca pounding on her chest. So we, we've got our bah humbugs and we've got our hoo-ahs. The 
the Scrooge is so he's so miserly that he doesn't want to um, he doesn't want to pay to have like his his employees be warm. He's mm-hmm. like the worst boss ever. He like um, won't donate to charity and he doesn't even want to give um, his best employee like his diehard best employee like the day off for Christmas. Only reason he ends up doing it is because like if he didn't, it would defy social convention and Scrooge to a certain degree cares what other people think about him in in terms of like upper society. That takes us into like the first inciting incident, which is with Marley, Jacob Marley. In um, A Muppet's Christmas Carol, it's Marley and Marley. Yeah. And so to good. me, honestly, I like I whenever they say it's like it's just a single character, a single Marley, I it just doesn't feel right to me. Mm-mm. They should be two characters. Mm-hmm. Do more. Do better. Do better. Scrooge has his first kind of like paranormal, paranormal instance. The the door, the door knocker turns into for a moment the face of Marley. And he goes, and I'm- Ooh. And I'm almost positive that in the novel, it used to, his apartments he's going into used to be Marley's apartments. Ooh, that, oh, and that makes sense. Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. Once again, great connection. Best adaptation. Best adaptation. Best adaptation. <laughs> he, uh, he is, he is a, you know, if he's a guy who doesn't care about Christmas and doesn't feel the whimsicalness of the hall, uh, the holidays, he's definitely not going to be someone who's like, gonna readily accept like the supernatural too bad for him too bad for our protagonist the first person that he's visited by is the ghost of jacob marley and he's wrapped in like chains mm-hmm. um wrapped in chains and he tells our protagonist that you will be visited by three ghosts three ghosts and scrooge goes mm, no that's silly i had a bit of bad cork or whatever and he goes to bed. And this is like, I I mean, then then we go through, we run through the gamut. We have our mm-hmm. ghost of Christmas past. Present and future. Present I think so, future. So a big, a big difference where it's like, A Christmas Carol is great to adapt, famously. But um, a big difference, how you can see it's been serialized. And then when people are like, okay, we're turning it into a movie or a play now is what, what doesn't make sense and is very confusing, but he said every night you're going to be visited by a ghost. So it's which technically I think, like three days before Christmas. Exactly. So like it doesn't make sense. And I feel like everyone who's adapting it is like, that doesn't make sense. But it makes sense in that if you're reading the newspaper once a week, you might not really notice it. And also I think it breaks it up better. But yeah. then like it's you not can necessary. have a whole night. You can have yeah, exactly. a whole night to like. And then I guess he just like wakes up and falls because it, it really it doesn't make um, sense. But I just thought, fun fact. I didn't know that. And I thought that was very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. So on the first night, and I think this is really, I think it is from, it's it's fascinating that the time period that this came out we didn't know that much about psychology. We didn't really like understand the mind that well, but there is this like inherent understanding that what happens in our childhood shapes who we are 
mm-hmm. in the present. Mm-hmm. And I think it's this idea that we're looking at this character who on the outside is very, very bad. And what Dickens does, and he says, no, like, let's go back to the past. You, mm-hmm. you get in touch with your inner child. Look at what happened to you in the past. Does that make you feel good? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you experiencing wounds that are opening up? Are you seeing yourself? Are you seeing who you are? Do you feel sad for this child? Yeah. That is so profound, especially and for that time. Scrooge is like, you don't know how it feels to be outside the crowd. You don't know how it feels <laughs> to be left <laughs> Yeah, you don't know <laughs> to be your, your own, own best, best friend. friend. Is that a Christmas song? <laughs> on, on the outside, the outside looking. looking in. Yeah. So, I think, so in, in the past, and this, I think this is where, why it's fun for people mm. to adapt to Christmas Carol is because it doesn't really matter exactly. You don't have to then follow the book. And be like, oh, there has to be all these X, Y, Z things. You mm-hmm. can just have a character and be like, okay, make up a past for them. And I think what I was going to say is what makes a Christmas carol a Christmas carol is the three ghosts and past, present, future. Truly, you could do that at Easter. You yeah. could do that at any time. But that device is, I think, what makes a story a Christmas carol story. And, um, and then I think you could, if you look at it's a wonderful life in some Mm -hmm. ways that might be one of the most famous adaptations. I do think. And what's funny is like, people don't really credit that as being like a a Christmas Carol specifically. Like if Mm -hmm. you look at the list of like Christmas Carol adaptations, they don't usually put in it's a wonderful life, but I do think that is the motif that it's following. Yeah. Except It's, it's an angel. And then it's Jimmy Stewart, who is I'm sure in his contract was not allowed to play someone like Scrooge. So no. they wrote in, which is strangely maybe the most, to me at least, the most representative of the Jimmy Stewart character oh, of all time. Absolutely. It's the it is the um oh it's blueprint. The, the blueprint for Jimmy Stewart. The Jimmy Stewart blueprint, which is I'm just a guy. I know I, I've got a, a lot of things happen to me, but I oh god, I want that was yeah. really good. Thank you. I I was overwhelmed by my you own. Ever done no, that before? No, I That's... haven't. <laughs> I loved it. I have it. I think if you watch the video back, you can see me in real time realize that I'm doing a Jimmy Stewart impression. Confession, since we're doing this right now, mm-hmm. um, I find whenever except for Muppet and Ghost of Girlfriend Past I find A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life to be some of the longest movies plays serial radio production I find them to be some of the longest things I've ever experienced they're so do you think that it's because you're so aware of the format and unless it's truly deviating from it or doing it exceptionally well it is like so boring you have to be like Matthew McConaughey, so interesting to watch, or like Michael Caine, or Michael Caine. It, it, yeah, and and you have to be. You cannot be self indulgent at all because the audience already knows what you're doing. Yeah, so you're they're not learning anything new. We all know the end. You so actually, it- what you have to do is to 
create a compelling character. Mm-hmm. Like you have to create a compelling character um, in the past, present, and future. Like you yeah, have to and- really like care that this piece of shit is going to learn a lesson and that like they're, and that's why I think Ghost of Girlfriend's Past does such a fantastic job because you really do care. You, you do. You want him to get with Jennifer Gardner, even though you're like, Jennifer, he's a red flag and he's not going to change. He's going to like mm-hmm. come away from this unless he gets into therapy. Like mm-hmm. so much. Well, <laughs> so we're not therapy. talking. I feel like we're doing such a good teaser for, we have any, we're not even officially talking about it yet. I know. And I will say, I feel like it, it's like Scrooge. I almost feel like is a BBC actors Hamlet. Mm. I feel like every old British man is like, I have a Scrooge inside of me. And it's actually so the arc you do in this story. It's so hard to pull off. It's so hard to pull off. And it's so like these, you shift like Scrooge goes from bah humbug. And then once he's put back into the past, he it's, I mean, I think it's usually played by like all of a sudden this deep childhood almost going back to that inner child you're playing the inner child Mm -hmm. and then you're playing that caginess again once you're in your present because you're like what is no and also like your ego is being absolutely demolished in front of you Mm -hmm. let's get into the our second part so like we do our we do our past yeah um there's usually a girl or like a romance a lost love in the past something along those lines that Mm -hmm. tends to follow um because i think for a lot of people that's very uh that's a that's a canon event is a lost mm-hmm. love um and he's kind of like devastated at the end of that he's de- he mm-hmm. re- realizes they because it can be a girl twice mm-hmm. <laughs> it twice it's been chris scrooge's rock yeah <laughs> um he yeah he, he he's reminded of how sad and lonely and and um, upsetting and his childhood was and how how much how what he lost I think mm-hmm. and what he gave up and the pursuit of money and, and and they're almost always old except for Barbie a Christmas Carol yeah I have yeah. not encountered someone over the age of 20 and so imagine reaching the end of your life and you're like oh I'm at the end of my life it's gone yeah and even and I, if I I'm not gonna now, feel, yeah it, I'm not it, gonna it, find love again like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to, I'm not going to get these back. I'm not going to have children. I'm not going to. Well, and, and another difference is actually in the story of A Christmas Carol, in the book, it actually cuts to Belle, his love, and, mm-hmm. and, and an older um, gentleman is like, guess who I ran in today? And he's like, your ex, Scrooge. Yeah. And, and Belle's and like. He, he hears her talk about him. Mm-hmm. And she's not even that hurt about it no she's like "Uh uh-huh like she's just kind of joking about like oh yeah was he the worst and they're like he was the worst and everyone just kind of laughs at him and it's that realization of like oh wait people even like bob cratchit his employee when he goes to the house everyone's like we don't like scrooge and it's bob cratchit who's defending him and then when they go to fred's house he's not they're actually not quaking at him they're they're laughing at him. Exactly. You know, it is it. Okay. So we go, we, the second night present and it's like mm-hmm. ego death. <laughs> it's like inner yeah. child ego death, um, where it, the, the protagonist then goes and 
we sort of revisit any of the people that we've run into in, in our first, in our like, in our intro, in our first act. Um, and we see the way that they feel about him. And honestly, I will say like, it's not, it's really clever to have a device because it's how often when supernatural elements are involved, how often is it just so you can learn a lesson and like hear how people talk about you? I feel like that would be such a, I think if, if everyone could be in a room with other people mm-hmm. and but be in a room where they're being talked about and without you know the audience's knowledge obviously I feel like that would be one of the most destabilizing or stabilizing who's to say um things that could happen to a person I think that would do a lot of change for me I know it like gosh which might just be me running off of a cliff but um but also like that's such I love it um just how you're explaining it and that that's such a universal experience yeah even back then it's like hey Rebecca would you like or like hey Charles Dickens do you want all your friends to get in a room and and just kind of just talk about you because also like yeah, it's like that's such a universal thing. They didn't want it to happen 50 years ago. You don't want that to happen 400 years ago. No, like, it's like no. That one, is such a human is, experience. It's such a human experience to be so consumed by, or uh, not so consumed, but to the fear of people talking about you behind your back and what people really think and how humbling that can be, especially mm-hmm. if it's completely different than what you thought and I think the thing with usually the protagonist has a pretty massive ego and I think that's that contributes to like their overall unhappiness Mm -hmm. is their ego without any sense of self or self-confidence it's this like projection and this insecurity and so that's being ripped apart like they're sort of the performance of themselves and all these things that they have to shield them from actual connection and emotional intimacy and like empathy is being torn down in front of their eyes and they have to just sit and watch it. And it's, and I think when it's done well, it's satisfying. Mm-hmm. I think a, a, a good Christmas Carol adaptation, you don't like Scrooge, Scrooge enough in the present mm-hmm. to where you, you feel good about him being torn down. No. And I like, once again I I don't and I mean I think that's another great thing about Scrooge like acting wise why it's such a challenge and it's so interesting is besides Scrooge going oh that's my school or oh my goodness he's just listening which which is it's that's the hardest thing to do as an actor is to just listen is to like act reacting yeah yeah and it's like like that's that's all you get to do which I think is I don't know. I think it's really interesting. Um, I I find it to be such a an obvious uh, an obvious course of events because I think what Dickens is doing is kind of condensing the hero's journey or like the uh, yeah like the hero's journey like the rise Mm -hmm. and fall of man. Um, He's condensing it into like really easy bite-sized like narrative structure because we Mm -hmm. have 
okay, so this, this is what happens in the present. And like, he's like, Ooh, I've taken a hit, whatever. But it's very easy to be like, you, you're taking the character and you're understanding that it's very easy for them to be like, um, uh, uh, well, whatever. They don't know what they're talking about. Like I I'm doing just fine for myself. Mm -hmm. Like who are you? Who are they? Like, and then it goes, well, if you didn't learn your lesson there, now we're going to go to the future. Something mm -hmm. you have no control over. Mm -hmm. You have control over your present. You have no control over your future. And I think you usually you get kind of defensive during totally. the second ghost. Of course. Um, and like why mm -hmm. I would, I, I mean, yeah. if I, if whatever people were saying about me, I would probably have some sort of defense or an excuse or a dismissiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, but then taking it to the future. And I think that's a really, really tricky thing to land well, because it can be a little bit of an ex machina because the future can kind of be whatever you want it to be as an author. Yeah. But if you've established your protagonist enough, your, your past, your present, and your future, or your past and your present, the future almost writes itself. Yeah. And, and it's just like everyone's dead. Every, every, everyone's, everyone's dead. Everyone's, everyone's dead. dead. Especially Tiny Tim. Especially, especially Tiny Tim. He's the most dead. He's the deadest. He's actually oh, that's the true. He's actually the deadest. Who's the who's the Tiny Tim? I was and just about to say that I don't know. And I I wonder if to, to everyone who's not mentally connected <laughs> to us, um, it's the ghost. Who's the, the ghost Tiny Tim and who's Gopher. Tiny Tim and Ghost of Girlfriends Past? That might actually be the brother. The brother might be Tiny Tim. I think and I know he's, I know time. he's not dead at the end, but I do. Th well, no, because the brother is kind of in the past, but I don't know if there's a real tiny Tim. I don't know. We'll think about it. We'll think about, we'll it. Think about it. I don't know if there's a tiny Tim, but I, and I do think tiny Tim is, <laughs> I do think tiny Tim is kind of like a, a divisive character because it does, he does feel a little bit, A, I find him to be quite annoying in any adaptation. I'm like, can this little kid just shut up? I, there's nothing I love more than like just a precocious and also like concerningly optimistic child. <laughs> and there's one part that maybe it, it's like you haven't seen an adaptation where he says this um recently <laughs> i don't think you have but there's one point when he comes bob cratches brings home tiny tim at one point and he's like tiny tim was so good at the church when we lit the candles he said oh, no it's in father it's, it's in a christmas carol it's in a it's in a muppet's christmas carol is it but it's like he said i'm glad i'm crippled because maybe then me being crippled will remind people of the story in the bible of the, of the cripple of and jesus healing the crippled exactly ignoring um, the fact that um he's still crippled and actually if anything it would kind of make them it would kind of remind them that like crippled people are still around yeah. and um <laughs> and god didn't heal this one but that is just if you're new to the story of A Christmas Carol, that is Tiny Tim's vibe. Mm. Is he is the son of Bob Cratchit, and he's very sick. And um, I I heard somewhere that uh this uh child was probably inspired. Charles Dickens' sister yes. had a very sick child. Yes, who it was I think inspired. Might have had pneumonia. 
something like that. I also, I mean, I think Charles Dickens just encountered a lot of like sick. As you do. As as you do in Victorian times. Everyone's mm-hmm. just sick. Um, but Tiny Tim specifically is kind of like, I also kind of wonder, like to me, knowing Charles Dickens, like I do so well now, I feel like Tiny Tim, Tiny Tim feels a little sarcastic. <laughs> like, like <laughs> what if he's like doing a bit? <laughs> like Tiny Tim feels like a kind of like, like Charles Dickens be like, oh, Oh, do you need a little crippled boy in order to feel sorry for yourself? Do you need to feel, do you need a crippled you, boy in order to I'm feel empathy? die? And I'm way better than all of you guys and I, I won't be around. Exactly. Like I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Oh. And I'm so optimistic. <laughs> I'm so I'm gonna poor. Act like I think I'm not gonna okay, die. Actually, I just thought about it. I just thought about it, and I do okay. think Tiny Tim does act as a device of like. T- okay, this is like my earnest take. Now that I've been, because I've been cynical and um, mm-hmm. I've been bratty, um, I think Tiny Tim might be the hope in the story because Bob Cratchit is an adult right? Bob Cratchit mm-hmm. is an adult and Scrooge can kind of like give him more money, right? Obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, I think Scrooge understood, Scrooge, I think Dickens understood that you can influence the life of a child for the better. That theme pops up all the time in his work of like, uh, you know, usually a boy around like 11 years old, having something happen to him that allows him uh, that affords him a different path and tiny tim um scrooge changing his ways giving money to the cratchits being aware of tiny tim's illness and then being able to like help fund like um like medical treatment at the very least Mm -hmm. changes tiny tim's life for the better I also think in some ways, I think Tiny Tim kind of is like, if anything, is just kind of the almost like vocabulary or the language of Scrooge changing. Yeah. Like I, I I think like he wouldn't po- possibly like, it's kind of like, oh, he might not change for this, this or this. He's definitely going to change for this. He's going to change for Tiny Tim. And like that is sort of like, yes, Scrooge, Scrooge's life is like kind of getting towards he's in his you know sunset years yeah I guess and but tiny Tim's at the beginning of his life and Scrooge coming in and being better for tiny and being able to provide tiny Tim a life that is good um with his uh financial influence because mm-hmm. that's really that that was a, a big thing is a financial inequality that is able Scrooge this this sort of thing was not just for Scrooge. It was also for the betterment of society, which is the betterment of conditions for children. Dickens was like a big advocate for like children's labor rights. And so I that's my pitch. That's my earnest pitch. I I still I don't think, like Tiny Tim. <laughs> I think also I, I think also Dickens knows like people love a dog and they love a kid. Like, I love a precocious, a precocious child. And as much as watching theater productions um, of A Christmas Carol 
can be a little tedious sometimes. Mm. You always just choose the tiniest, cutest, cutest girl or boy and just dress her up, dress her up in a little yeah. page. You just choose the cutest one. You say, and even if they're like, that buzzes them. Yeah. Even if they do a really bad job, it's so cute. And it's you know so what? cute. That, that's just humanity. We we love a cute kid. We don't. I, we love a cute kid. I just remembered as you were talking because I blocked it out of my memory. I have seen two female Scrooges since we decided to do this. Christine Baranski in Wait. has a very Dolly Christmas or whatever. Oh. She's in the musical, and I have to say, it is really bad. Like sometimes right. it's like ah ha ha ha. This is bad. And I was watching it with it's my not friend even and like enjoy, uh, enjoyably bad. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, no, it's bad. So that's a Christmas Carol. He that's he a Christmas the future. Carol. He sees his own funeral. He sees like no one loves him. No one cares when he. They're actually happy that he died. The only uh, fortunate emotional impact that he had on people was the delight that he inspired when he died. So they wouldn't have to like pay their debts quicker. And they people broke into his house and stole stuff from him because no to... one no one cared. Oh, and Tiny Tim died. And Tiny Tim died. Boo. <laughs> Boo. So he wakes up and he's like, "What day is it?" And a child out the window goes, "It is Christmas." Morning. Also, oh my gosh, that bunny, what? the bunny oh. who in in a Christmas Carol. I don't know what it is about that bunny. It really got me this watch no, through. It <laughs> it looks like your cat. It I looks think. like my cat. And I it's so sweet and it's so sad. That that's my tiny Tim. That that is definitely your tiny Tim. For sure. Um so he and then he goes and a big difference between the book and not the book is um he sends a turkey but he doesn't go the crutches, but he doesn't go. He just but goes to I think, friends. And I think storytellers know, like, nah, nah, nah. You got to end with the kid. You yeah. got to end with Tiny Tim. You that is how you bring Tim the house going, God down. bless us. Because he's Everyone. like, holding child, you and, know. And like Tiny Tim, like, takes his scarf and like, uh, puts it, and he's wearing a red scarf. And the really red scarf good. represents Christmas cheer. The red scarf represents the duality of man. <laughs> now let's talk adaptations. We've been sort of talking about it, you know, this whole time because I think there's so many. I think it's one of the most like adapted functions of storytelling. It's like it's up there with Shakespeare, like Romeo and Juliet, how that shows up everywhere all the time. It's interesting because I think the trope, the Christmas Carol trope, I found shows up a lot of the times like in TV, like mm-hmm. long running TV sitcoms will do a Christmas Carol episode. You're so right. And like it is it is like a motif that like, you can kind of slap anything. Like, do you want a character to learn something? Mm-hmm. Christmas Carol motif. I feel like there's like if you've had a TV show for a while and you have a Christmas episode you do every season yeah and you can kind you'll of do, eventually do christmas uh, or you yeah christmas episode every season eventually you'll do a christmas carol exactly exactly well and, and it's it could be as easy as dressing your main character up in like a nightgown mm-hmm. and a nightcap and they're holding a candle and you can mm-hmm. be like oh there it is and it's 
they might be like, oh, I hate this spring musical. I yeah. hate it. Yeah. And at and the you- end, they end up going, I love the spring musical. Absolutely. Like, okay. So real fast, we're going to go into first A Muppet's Christmas, but um, I will say we're going to get it out of the way. Um, Scrooge McDuck. We're going to get it out of the way. <laughs> we're getting it out um, of the way. I, you, I've been you, ready for this. So I listened to a three-hour history of Scrooge McDuck. It actually is one of the most published, like the Adventures of Scrooge McDuck or something, is one of the most printed comic books of all time, actually. And it began in the 1940s, but I thought it maybe started with a Christmas Carol, like a Mickey Christmas Carol or something. He's a character from the 1940s that they just call Scrooge McDuck and he's rich. No, Um, So anyways, thank goodness we got Scrooge McDuck out of the way. You guys would have been just like why they would have been like why didn't you talk about scrooge mcduck Scrooge mcduck here's Um, the thing we were we had this conversation and Mm -hmm. we discussed how what adaptations we wanted to watch what adaptations we think we should watch which ones we did not want to watch and i proposed this conversation to many people i felt like i was talking about a christmas carol for a couple weeks because we were prepping for this episode and a lot of people brought up scrooge with bill murray yeah and i um i didn't want to watch it and mm-hmm. i i didn't feel the call to and i feel like that might be upsetting um mm-hmm. for some that might be like not a fun um I, it might feel if left out but i just want you to know we didn't leave it out we just I, didn't want to watch it neither one of us also i watched well i watched most of it last year around christmas mm-hmm. and i had been like hey dad it's on tv let's watch it it's bill murray and dad was like what is this and i will say i think it's kind of like um like a lampoon christmas or whatever in National that lampoon. yes if you grow up with it you like it mm-hmm. but i didn't and yeah. so it's sometimes like the jokes and some of it is like kind of tired and um Fighting words. I think Bill Murray is talented, but he's not a presence where he can do anything and I'll watch him do anything. No, I don't either. I did listen I, to I'm, a 40 I'm... minute video essay on the making of Scrooge. Um, uh, Fun. But I didn't watch it. Um, <laughs> anyways, so let's talk about A Muppet Christmas Carol, which I think many of the listeners will say is, is the best. The best. And here's and the we, thing. I think it's the best direct adaptation. It is yes. like it goes straight from the source material. If mm-hmm. you're looking at something that is like set in the year 19 or 1843, like mm-hmm. period piece, like location setting, the characters all have the exact same name. I think that is uh, by far the best adaptation. And I think mm-hmm. across the board, by far the best scrooge performance of all time of all time no like it's mm-hmm. it's it is the best scrooge and i i mean it's michael kane like and and he is acting and i think now on so social, hard Ugh. he's doing it and i think um and this is now circulated i'm sure anyone who knows about muppets has said this but michael kane said to the director that he was going to play scrooge as if he was doing it with the royal shakespeare company yeah and um and also another thing is when he found out the Muppets were doing it, he pursued them. He really wanted to do it, that, which like I think said, is so I cool. Think, I think there's a Scrooge in every British male actor. I think they mm-hmm. hit a certain point point. they're like, there's a Scrooge in me. Yeah, I can I'm, do I'm this. Ready for, I'm ready for my Scrooge. Um, I do. Here's something that I love 
that I think this adaptation does really well. Mm-hmm. I think it's really short. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like maybe like a tight 90. I feel like it's shorter than that now. I think it was 90 minutes for us because we paused a third of the way through because mm-hmm. I felt it was important to for us to watch. Okay, I'm sorry, but like we talked about this when we were watching it, but I think the past for Scrooge is so important and the devastation of him viewing his past is so important that like without this musical number that they cut out, it wouldn't like, it just doesn't, it doesn't land as hard. Do you want to explain what happened? You want to explain what I'm talking about? I'm going to do my best. So, um, it's called, the song is called the love is gone. Correct. When love is gone, when love is gone. And also I would like to say, I think his, the whole performance is 100% amazing of Michael Caine. The end of when love is gone, he is sobbing. And I was sobbing. I was like, I was, I was crying. Like I felt it so hard. He, he does a gorgeous job in this. Um, but so, um, when love is gone, when it was, so it was released in cinemas first and, um, it was not in the cinematic release. The studio Mm -hmm. didn't like it, but when it went out to VHS, so I had to do some sleuthing because Maddie grew up with the VHS tape and it was on the VHS. has this musical number that happens between the character of Scrooge and Mm -hmm. the girl Belle that Mm -hmm. he left, that he... And it's beautiful. It's this beautiful number. It's in the snow. It's a gorgeous song. And it like, like the character of Scrooge, Michael Caine, becomes so overcome with like sadness. He's, he starts crying and, and they duet together, the past and the present duet. And I think this might be the first time he sings. Oh, absolutely. And he does, I think that's impactful. Um, but so what happened is also what's funny is the studio, um, had, did not like the song. Um, and so it went, it went missing. So by the time it was time to put it on DVD, so like the VHSs had been printed with the song, Mm -hmm. but the, the cinematic release was then put on DVDs Mm -hmm. and then that that's what they were going off of in the tape. A lot of people, a lot of people got the DVDs because they, they mm-hmm. do, I mean, in the day of streaming, everything is available all the time, but a lot of times you'd only be able to get like a limited run of VHSs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they did a re-release of the D- DVD, like a 10 year anniversary in 2002, they released the DVDs without the, yes, so without it really, the, when the love is gone. It really just depends on um when did your parents buy a christmas carol yeah and what's really interesting and so now on disney plus actually when you go to watch a muppet christmas carol there's an option to do like the extended version or mm-hmm. whatever and that's um when you add in when love is gone and it's interesting because i hadn't seen when love is gone until when we watched it together but if you go on the reddit for when love is gone mm-hmm very divisive. Some people either, you can tell it's very nostalgia-y. So either people think it's perfect or people go, this actress really isn't in the movie that much. 
why does she get a huge song? Yeah. And um, I'm not invested in her. And actually, I would argue, I think there is something kind of impactful on a character and all you get is them singing this it's lovely just the song. Single, the single song. And, and I think, I mean, it works well, especially with her. There's like, there is no happy ending with Belle. Like he lost no. Belle and it's gone and the love is gone. And I think, I mean... I just, I love it. I think it's a great song. I think it's a really, really important moment in the story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that I, I'm glad I got the version that I did when I got it. So now we're going to get super sentimental. So she grew up with it. I didn't, but I did the research on it. So when, by the time they were filming it, Jim Henson, he was the creator of the Muppets, the Muppets guy. He was he was the ver- voice of Kermit. He had passed. Mm. Um, he had died of pneumonia. So this was the first project that was going to be released without him. And Brian is his son, and he was going to direct a Christmas Carol. He didn't want to direct a Christmas Carol. He was like, I don't know what I'm doing. It was his first film, and he was still the death of his father. It was really affecting the whole team. Like they were not doing well without Mm -hmm. him just personally. And so that's another reason why a Muppet Christmas Carol, I think is so heartfelt and the studios kept going, make it funnier, not enough jokes, make it funnier. And you actually end up with like Muppet Treasure Island is very silly and fun and punchy. A Muppet Christmas Carol is so sincere it's and very when, sincere and and like i'm getting chills thinking about it like when love is gone it's it is about romantic love i guess but no, also but like, like what a now the time has come for me to say goodbye it, it's oh them. my god and at jim henson's like literal fu- like funeral or whatever they had the someone at the big bird guy came on stage and sang a goodbye song to Jim Henson on oh stage at his funeral. Oh like, God. um, oh no, that's so. And I, I mean, I think the that Muppets, is, they're that real. Is, and wait, one more thing okay. that I think is really important is, um, uh, okay. So Steve Whitmore, he was going to be doing Kermit and he was the first like actor to do Kermit since um, Jim had passed. And the night before he went in to record the songs, he was really nervous, understandably. And in his dream, um, Jim comes to him in the dream and tells him that he can do it. Oh my God. So um, that's so beautiful. It mm-hmm. is, it is such a beautiful project. It's such a, I would say like a Christmas Carol is lucky to have had the Muppets adapt it. Yeah, I think like it's Dickens, you you uh, you're welcome. I think it's I think the Muppets are so r- real because they're done so they're earnestly. So, they're so real and I didn't and like I mean, respectful. Like, when you're a kid, you kind of like you don't really have this like that's sort of the thing that like that logic in your brain where like when you watch things now, you're like, well, that's there's a disconnect there clearly mm-hmm. there like you can see the magic you can see behind the scenes when I was watching the Muppets Christmas Carol it took me like it took me like a good there was just like a, a good 30 minutes to remember that I was watching puppets and not watching real seasoned actors like really give a great performance do you want to hear one more cute little thing 
Yes, I do. So there was there was like a someone who was doing a podcast about she's a journalist or whatever. And she said she's like, oh, actually, I got to interview Kermit, you know, and so they brought in the puppets. I I, I don't know. Maybe it was like Gonzo and Kermit or whatever. So the act, you know, the the puppeteers come in and they like, you know, have the bucket boxes with the puppets, but it's a radio program. So they weren't going to use the puppets and they saw the disappointment in the journalist. They were like, oh, so Kermit isn't coming out. <laughs> and the puppeteers then were like, oh, okay. And they put on the puppets and they did the radio show that no one could wow, see besides the I journalist. As Kermit. Isn't that so That's sweet? So sweet. I mean, the Muppets are important. Maybe we'll do an entire episode dedicated to the Muppets. Yeah. So I think we definitely, this was when we decided to do Christmas Carol, Maddie's one, initial pitch was like Muppet Christmas Carol. Let's just and then, do Muppets. And then we just kind of kept thinking about it. And then uh, one of us was like, and now we're going to talk about Ghost of Girlfriends past. past. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think it's fun. I think it's fun because it is such a misogynistic um just like kind of cynical product of the time Mm -hmm. but I really do think it does a great job understanding the heart of the source material Mm -hmm. and really like extracting from it the narrative beats and the character motivations like I I think Ghost of Girlfriends Pass no I'll say it I think it's the best um interpretation because there's like a direct adaptation of the text but like if we're talking about adapting (laughs) just like a christmas carol as a an idea an entity i think ghost of girlfriends pass is great it's got great performances you have three of the sparkliest actors of our time so emma stone is someone we haven't mentioned who plays the ghost of girlfriend girl she plays she plays the ghost of girlfriend's past and this is before she was like in our zeitgeist and she is like just post easy a she is so fucking good so good she's so good she's giving such a good performance she's so lived and she's so funny and i think her and matthew mcconaughey have great chemistry if anything i think emma stone is going for it like michael kane went for it and Muppet yes. Christmas Carol. Yes. She is just committing. So she's committing. Here- she's so funny. And I think also like Jennifer Gardner oh. is giving a really tragic, like a really heartbroken kind of like grounded performance. You And you understand also like you understand. I mean, it's Matthew McConaughey. So you get why, you know, she fell for him. But like you also get why he fell for her. Not just because she's beautiful, but like it's really good. And I love the They're, way they deconstruct the past. And I love um, uh, 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 Michael. And I don't want to give away anything like too much, but there's one part where like he used to be this really sincere, lovesick kid for Jennifer Gardner. And he sees her dance with someone else. Oh. And he goes, I don't even know if I want to marry her anymore. Oh. And you're like, oh, oh my God. Oh. So to preface it, I feel like we're doing a great sell um, of this movie, but I do think we but need to give a little bit of a disclaimer. We absolutely do. It. it is it is a deeply cynically 
objectifyingly nasty and misogynistic tale. I think it works for Scrooge because I think like capitalism is kind of like baked into the American DNA. Like, of course, money's evil. Of course, money's evil. And I do think it does. I don't know if the movie sells the redemption arc as well as it could. I don't think the movie makes you like, I don't end the movie being like, Matthew McConaughey learned his lesson. I, I, yeah, I don't know if he's going to, I don't, I don't think he's going to be good. I honestly kind of wish that he hadn't ended up with Jennifer, mm -hmm. but I mean, that wouldn't, that, what would that, what good you would that have done? Uh, I wouldn't like it as much, but yeah. um, he is so disgusting in a way that only actors in 2009 yeah. could be. It, it really off is like, it is, it is post-feminist misogyny like this sort of this I think like I think women everywhere woke up when this film was released and were like mm -hmm. hey 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 okay all right not took cool it too far you took it too far this is not okay um but I do but I think here's the thing if you're coming into it fresh it might not and if you don't care about these actors at all you're gonna hate this movie but it got terrible reviews, guys. Terrible reviews at the I mean, like and 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 um what's the word? Understandably terrible reviews. Yeah. It is it, but I think, and maybe this just has more this like is more representative of like just films now. Like mm -hmm. I think it's it's a real Hollywood movie. Maybe the last. Maybe. And I think just to kind of tie it up, if you're watching it, I bet a lot of people quit about 40 minutes in. Yeah. But the thing I like, and I was holding out cause I was watching it for a second time with my dad and I was holding out and I was like, and, and actually we had to pause it at one point and my sister was going to like go do something. And I was like, Oh, we'll wait for you to finish it. And Mary goes, you don't have to wait for me. And I go, we're going to wait for you, Mary. We're waiting and for you you're going to finish this movie. And she, and then by the end, everyone's like, it is very good. But the speech, because, you know, you got to have a, a speech. His, is he not truly giving a heads up that he's about to win an Oscar soon? No, he's, he's, he is, he is, it is like, one of the best he is speech performances of all time. Begging to win an Oscar so badly in this movie. Like you can tell he is just like, guys, I am better than this. Look mm -hmm. at me. Look at me. I'm better than this. Christopher Nolan, like, cast me, please. I think it's like his last. Oh, it really is. It's his last. I, it's his last like non-prestige film. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like he went full prestige after that. I think if anything, uh, this probably broke him. I think so. I think this movie broke him. And I think, and, and honestly, and for that, he went, uh, I mean, he wanted, went on his own Scrooge adventure mm -hmm. and we're grateful yeah. And with that, Maddie. Oh, with that, I think we can wrap up. This has been such a delightful Christmas surprise. I had such a wonderful time exploring mm -hmm. the past, present, and the future with you. Um, Lonely Girls, if you would like to spend your future with us, you can find both of us at Lonely Girls Podcast on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, same on TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me at Turner Madeline on Instagram and at Madeline Turner on TikTok. Rebecca, where can they find you? And on Instagram, you can find me at Rebecca Botter. 
And then on TikTok, you can find me at Botter Rebecca. Not and, confusing at all. And there might be a few things in the works coming from emails everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So or follow us. Other, follow other us. If you don't, we'll be so upset. We'll be so sad. Okay, Maddie, I love you. I'm so glad we got to do this. I'm so glad you're part of my past, present, and future, Rebecca. Oh, oh that was good. <laughs> Oh, that was good. Um, And lonely girls, as always, remember to stay lonely, but not alone. Love you. Bye. Bye. Sweet sad songs. Sweet sad songs. Sweet sad.